You're listening to the Grace Through Faith weekly podcast. For more information, go to mygtf.org. We hope you enjoy. We'll open those up with me today to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13, and also if you'll uh, turn over to find 2 Kings chapter 6, and just put a marker there, we'll get there in just a second, but we're going to start in Numbers chapter 13, and uh, before we do that, I want to just ask you to just bow your head, and let's just pray over our time in God's Word this morning. Father God, we just thank you so much for your Word, and Lord, what what you say about your Word is that it's alive and it's active, and so Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and that you would minister the Word of God to our hearts this morning. Uh, and Lord, our, our part in this is that we would open our hearts up to what you have to say to us today and to receive. And so Lord, right now we do that. We open our heart and we say, God, would you speak to us through your eternal word? Would you speak to us prophetically through your spirit? And would you begin to show us individually, each one of us in this room, what you're asking and speaking to our lives right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, we're going to begin a new series of messages this morning titled Giants in the Land, and as I was um, just praying over us at the end of worship there, it was kind of um, something that I felt like God was saying as I was getting into my message, and so I kind of took some of my introduction and, and was just ministering that to you, but that's really kind of the, the idea of this series of messages as we get into it. What we believe is that Jesus came, this is what 1 John 3 says, the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And really, I feel like that where we are right now as a church is that we're, we're this group of people who are, like we just got through praying, that are believing that God wants to do something special in our lives. That we're believing that God wants to do something special in our church, that He wants to do something special in our city. God, that is in God's heart. All God is looking for is a people group, a group of people a band of churches, it doesn't have to be one church, it can be multiple churches that say yes. That say, God, we want to do something significant and we want to destroy the works of the enemy with you. And so as, as we kind of look into that and, and we begin to express that to the Lord, there's something that happens. As God's people begin to try to lay hold of God's promises for their life, you will bump up against resistance. That's going to happen. Um, and, and what happens in a lot of people's lives is as we kind of reach for doing something better for God and we, we reach for a promise that God has for us, sometimes we kind of get punched in the nose. Have you ever experienced that? Spiritually punched in the nose? Not literally. Well, maybe. But you spiritually get punched in the nose and it kind of sometimes makes us go, well, forget it. I, I, I didn't know if it's going to be like that, then I'm just going to go over here and just live a simple life and mind my own business. Listen to me. This is the reality of the cosmic warfare that's happening between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. You have an enemy, and regardless of whether you want to engage with that enemy or not, he's still going to come after you. What Jesus said is the enemy comes only. There's only one reason that the enemy comes and he, he, he engages with mankind. It's to steal, to kill, and destroy And your life is no exemption from that. The only safe place that you have is God. Because He's superior to the kingdom of darkness. And so as the people of God step into His purposes for their lives, as we step into, quote-unquote, this promised land that He has for us individually and corporately as a group of people, 
We understand that there's going to be resistance, that it will come. But as much as resistance is going to come, we also acknowledge that God is going to give us strength. That he's going to give us what we need to overcome the enemy. And so as we step into this, here's kind of the, the, the frame of what we're going to be looking at. is Joshua and the children of Israel stepped into the promised land, and there were giants in the land. It's like God had promised them, this is your, this is your inheritance, Canaan. And what I want you to do is I want you to go occupy your inheritance. I want you to take your inheritance. And as you step into the promise that I have for your life, you're going to step into warfare. There are giants that are in the land. And so what we're going to do in this series is we're going to spend some time identifying some of the giants that are resisting the move of God in your life and in my life. And then what I want to do is I want to talk about some of the tactics that we need to employ in order to defeat the giants that are in our land. Amen? So it's going to be real practical, but there is this reality in, in the spiritual dynamic of your journey with Jesus that you're going to run into some very common enemies. Some of the things that we're going to talk about is it, it, something that's common to all of us. I'll give you an example. So this is what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about the giant of despair. Despair is something that every single one of us has wrestled with at one time or another. There's this place that we get in our walk, in our, in our life, where we go through some struggles, some disappointments happen, and we lose hope. We think that there's not a better tomorrow that's going to come. You don't have to raise your hand, but do you know what I'm talking about? Every single one of us have tasted disappointment, and you get into that place where you despair, and you don't think it's going to get any better than it is right now. Listen. That is a giant that's standing in your way from possessing the promise that God has for you. Because this is the, the agenda that despair has in your life. It wants to discourage you so much that you just stop. That you quit. That you lose heart. That you give up. That you put down your weapons. You stop fighting. You put down your Bible. You put down your prayer life. You put it all in the closet and you quit. That is the goal that this giant has in your life, in my life. So I want you to look at, at Numbers chapter 13, and I want you to see what this looks like in Scripture. Verse 25, if you remember the story, this is whenever Moses and Joshua and Caleb were leading the children of Israel, and Moses directed 12 men to go into the promised land and to spy it out, to scope it out to look and see what was, what was going on there. This is 40 years before they actually possessed the promised land. This was the event that caused them to spend 40 years in the wilderness under God's judgment and discipline because they refused to do what God wanted them to do. They went up against despair and they chose to lay everything down. And listen to me, they spent 40 years trying to shake that off of them. It was this generational thing that they had to get off of the entire nation because they despaired and gave up. And so listen to me. What we're fixing to talk about is really important in your life. Whenever you begin to struggle with despair, it's something that is really significant because it has the ability to cause your life to take a detour that can take some time to get back from. And so whenever you begin to feel feelings of despair, which despair leads to depression... Right? That's what I'm talking about right now. And so if you've ever struggled with depression, I'm talking about the beginning phases whenever your heart begins to be hopeless. 
And if you want to unwind that, the first thing that you have to do is recognize that you're dealing with a giant that you can't overcome. This is the day in Israel's history where they chose to succumb to despair. And it altered the course of their journey for the next 40 years. So this is what it says. Moses tells these, these spies to go into the land and spy it out. And they come back to Moses and they give him this report. It says in verse 25, At the end of 40 days they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there, which are giants. These are the, the people like Goliath, that where Goliath came from. And so we saw giants in the land, is basically what they're reporting to Moses and the children of Israel. The Amalekites dwell in the land and, uh, of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the, Aramite, the Aramites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it. For we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them also. Here's this thing that happens in Israel's history and in their journey. And this is a fork in the road for them. They come to the prophetic promise that God had made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And God brings them to this prophetic culmination of this is it, guys. This is what I've been talking to you guys about for generation after generation. And Pharaoh tried to interrupt that, and he held you guys back, but I delivered you from Pharaoh. Here is the promise. Go get it. And at this fork in the road, Caleb and Joshua come back and they say, Guys, let's go get it. It's going to be good. Here's the fruit. It's awesome. God's going to grant us the victory. We are well able. But there was this other voice of dissent that began to rise from these spies. And they began to challenge the, the voice of faith, the voice of hope, the voice of confidence of Caleb and Joshua. And they said, no, we can't. We can't do this thing. We can't go into the land. These people are strong. Did you see how tall they were? These people have fortified cities. They have the ability to defend themselves. If we go in, this land is going to consume us just like it consumes all the inhabitants. Have you ever had those thought patterns go through your mind? Those fatalistic thoughts that say it doesn't matter how good looking you are, how talented you are, how awesome you are. This is the thing that's going to eat your lunch. There's our, there are moments as a dad that I've felt that way. There are moments as a husband 
that I've felt that way. As a pastor, in different arenas of my life, there has been this voice that begins to echo in the chambers of my mind, right? And it begins to, to bring this negative report of what disaster is fixing to happen in my life if I choose to step out in faith of what God's asking me to do. Am I the only person that's ever experienced that? See, this giant that I'm talking about, it plays in all of our heads. It comes to defeat the voice of faith. See, God is calling you into something profound. And it's going to require a faith element in your journey. There's no way that you can do this and have assurances that there can't be some kind of calamity. But God is the one that's in your head and he's in your heart. And he's saying, listen, we can do this together. If you'll just trust me, if you'll just come with me, I know that you're not capable on your own. God knows that. I know that you need something from me. I'm going to give you everything that you need. See, here's the thing that separated the attitude of Caleb from the attitude of these other spies. Caleb said, we are able. These other spies said, we are not able. Here's the reality, folks. The children of Israel, on their own, probably were not able. Here's a bunch of slaves, right? Let's get an accurate picture of who these people are. They're shepherds and slaves, and they've been in bondage to Pharaoh for 400 years. They do not know warfare. They don't know how to fight. They've been in one little bitty battle right after they left Egypt. And they, they were able to win because God gave them the victory. And listen, as they begin to journey, the, these, these, uh, these spies that come back and have this negative report, they're the realists in the room. Now, I'm not going to ask all the realists in the room to raise their hand. I'll just speak for you because I can be that guy. I can be the one that looks at all of the reasons why we can't win, why we can't succeed, and point those out and go, you know what, we really do need to consider the fact that we are weak in these areas. Now here's the deal. That perspective is okay as long as you don't live there. You have to be honest with yourself about what your weaknesses and what your flaws are in life. That's the only way that you're going to be able to invite God into that weakness so that He can give you the power to overcome it. If I walk around in pride and say, you know what, I don't have any weaknesses. I'm awesome. There's nothing wrong with me. Then guess what? Pride goes before destruction. I'm going to step into some, some pitfalls and I'm going to step on some landmines and it's going to be a rough go for me for a little while. Acknowledging that you have weaknesses isn't bad, but living in that place and separating yourself from the attitude that Caleb had, and this is what Caleb knew, God's with us. I don't think that Caleb was under some delusion that these, these people were fighting warriors because they weren't. Caleb knew that they had the God who just destroyed Pharaoh in the Red Sea. Caleb knew that there was something that was different about their army that the other army didn't have in the land. And so there's this attitude that Caleb has that these other spies have because he had the God factor in his heart. God is going to be the difference maker in our battle and in the journey that we're taking into the land, and He is going to give us victory. Listen, it's okay to acknowledge that you have weaknesses. It's okay to understand that, man, my bank account can only go so far, my talents are only this big, but whenever you lump God in with what you have, it's more than enough. 
You can stand in your life with confidence and say, you know what? I'm capable. I'm able. Not because I have something special, but because someone special lives inside of me. There's a big difference there. Caleb had this attitude that we can go defeat any giant. But if you let this despair dwell in your heart for too long, it'll cause you to not even start the fight in the first place. That's what a spirit of despair looks like whenever you and I begin to walk our lives. We're not standing on some mountaintop looking down in some valley, kind of like this picture, and it's like, there's the land, it's got giants and Caleb and all that stuff. Man, we're just trying to go to work every morning, right? Trying to raise some kids. Trying to make sure that our kids don't mess up our grandkids, right? I mean, there's all those things going on in our lives. And we're just trying to make it to the end of the day on most days, right? And so whenever we talk about this giant of despair, it matters for your life just as much as it mattered for Caleb and the children of Israel. Because the enemy of despair, he wants to come in and he wants to bring this negative thought pattern into your life and it creates this churning that creates a storm. And whenever you begin to look at all of the obstacles and all of the challenges that you're dealing with, then sometimes what we do is we throw up our hands in the air and we're like, all hope is lost. There's no way we can win. And we just stop. Why go to church? Why pray? Why say that to my son? Why step in? It's not going to make a difference. Listen to me. That giant needs to die. It needs to die. We need to, to dig deep within ourselves and rediscover the voice of faith that God is speaking in us. You know, God has hope for you. It's not just for the other people around you who you think have all their lives together. It's for you. It doesn't matter how many times you've messed up. It doesn't matter how many times that you haven't got it right. God has something beautiful for you and your life. And that voice that comes in to challenge and say, yeah, but... You don't know what I've done. Yeah, but I, I've messed up too many times. Yeah, but you don't understand how terrible my situation is. He's a liar. God is capable of taking your life and doing something profound with it. It's time for you to believe that. So here's the deal. If you are warring with this giant of despair, I want to give you two tactics today on how you can engage in battle with it and win. Okay? It's two things. So turn over to, where's the other place I had you turn over to? 2 Kings chapter 6. The first tactic that I want to give you in order to defeat a giant of despair is to gain a heavenly perspective. You're going to have to change the way that you see things. Here's Caleb. And he's looking at the same land and he's looking at the same giants as these other spies. And he's saying, we can win. And these spies are looking at the same land and the same giants that Caleb was. And they're like, no, we can't. There was something different about their perspectives. And that difference needs to be something that you do inside of your life. You can change your perspective. It, it, it has to be intentional. You're the one that has to do it. Nobody can do it for you. But it can be changed, okay? And so I want you to look at 2 Kings chapter 6 because this is a prayer that I want to pray for us today. Let me give you a little bit of the backstory. There's the king of Syria and the king of Israel, and they're not friends, okay? They're, they're at battle with each other. And so the king of Syria actually is trying to um, 
perform these raids on the, the, the army of Israel and on Israel's people. And so he's setting up these, um, these, uh, these moments where they step into warfare and he catches them by surprise. There's only this one problem. Elisha, the prophet, because God's revealed it to him, knows the battle strategies of the king of Assyria. And he goes to the king of Israel and says, hey, listen, don't go down this road on this certain day because the king of Assyria, or the king of Syria, is waiting to fight you. And so, just the strategic advantage of having God on your side, isn't that pretty cool? The king of Israel listens to Elijah and he changes his plans and the king of Syria, this is where we're going to pick up in the story, is exasperated. And he turns to his, his counselors and he turns to his wise men and his servants he's like, who is it that's leaking all of my battle information to the king of, a king of Israel? It's got to be one of you guys. And that's whenever this conversation starts. So look at verse 12. It says this. And one of his servants, the king of Syria's servants, said, none of us, my lord, nobody's leaking this information. None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. He tells them your secrets. And he said, go and see where he is that I may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent there horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city of Dothan. When the servant of the man of God, this is Elisha's servant, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city, and the servant said this. Now, I want you to get this picture before you read what he said, right? Here's the servant of Elisha, and he opens the front door, and he sees this huge army surrounding the city. Would you freak out? Uh, he probably had to change his underwear. It was probably one of those moments where he was like, oh my goodness, this is going to be one of those days, right? And so he opens the door in the morning and he discovers it's a bad day. This is what he says. Alas, my master, what shall we do? And then Elisha said, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, here's the realist in the room. Here I am over here, okay? There were two guys in that house. And Elisha had the audacity to say, there are more guys here than there are out there. Now, either he's nuts, or he has a different perspective. See, Elisha could see something that his servant couldn't. Caleb could see something that these other spies couldn't. Your perspective is everything. Amen. It's everything. It's what gave Elisha the confidence to say, hey, man, don't freak out. We're all good. We're okay. This is going to work out. He goes on to say this. So the Lord, uh, he said, verse 17, Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way. This and this is not the city. So Elisha stopped the slaughter of these two guys in one moment because he prayed a prayer. Because he had the correct perspective. Here's the thing. The giant of despair wants to discourage you to the point where your perspective 
is all wrong. And if you want to get into the place where you stand up to the depression and the despair that is wreaking havoc in your heart, you have to change your perspective again. You have to pick up your prayer life. You have to reach to heaven. You have to say, God, would you allow me to see this like you see it? How many of you know that in your worst moments, God was not freaking out? God was not worried. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows how all of this is going to work. He knows the path to victory. And so whenever we get into those moments where you open the front door on Monday morning and it all hits you right in the face, we have to stop for a second before we freak out, before we despair, we say, God, you know everything that's happening right now. Would you allow me to see it like you see it? Would you open my eyes so that I can see? Listen, this is a game changer for you. Because the end of, this is what the, the giant of despair likes to do. He likes to take a picture of your negative situation that you're going through right now. And he likes to prophesy defeat over your life. And he wants you to just look at that picture over and over and over again and go, there's no way my life is going to get any better. But you know what I love about the advent of technology and how things have kind of moved and progressed is that we don't really use a lot of pictures anymore. Everything now is video. A picture is just a moment in time. It's just this captured moment that happened that's just this nanosecond, right? It does not tell you what's fixing to happen, what turn of events is fixing to take place. And so whenever God comes and you ask him for a different perspective, he begins to prophesy. And if you, if you didn't get to be here last week, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message. Because we talked about how to hear the voice of the Lord and how it's really important in our journey with him. But this is part of changing your perspective. You've got to give God's voice a prominent place in your life where you say, God, what is it that you're saying about this situation? Give me your perspective. What is it that you're speaking right now? And as we see and as we hear, God gives us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. As we see and as we hear, our perspective shifts and our faith is stoked and we're able to stand in the place where we can speak to despair and defeat it. Amen? Amen. Now, here's the thing that I, I want to show you next. Here's the second thing. The second tactic to overcome despair, and that is to fight. I know that probably sounds a little bit oversimplified, but I don't know that there's anything else that is more important for me to say than that if you're struggling with the spirit of despair. Because I've, I've said this already this morning, but I want you to hear it again. The main goal of despair is to get you to quit. That's what he's after. He wants you to lay down your sword. He wants you to roll over and quit. And if you're in that place today, then this tactic is the thing that you've got to change in your day-to-day. -day. You've got to stand up, and you've got to fight. You're the one that has to do it. Jesus is going to be the strength that helps you get the job done, but he's not going to do it without your cooperation. You have to fight. You have to divorce yourself from this idea that all hope is lost, you've got to put that behind you and you've got to stand in the place of battle and do what God's asked you to do to lay hold of the victory. I want to read you this passage. 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 because this gives you a great picture of how we're supposed to interact with the kingdom of darkness, with the giant of despair. This is Paul, and he's writing this to the, the church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, meaning they're not swords, they're not shields, they're not guns. Don't put your faith solely in those things. That's not how you're going to overcome a spirit of despair. He does say this, though. But we do have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Here's, I want you to think about that phrase, that take every thought captive. Say captive. Here's what Paul's talking about. The, the Greek word for captive comes from the root word that means to take by the spear. And so I want you to envision this, if you will, okay? Here's, we're in Roman times. That's the time that, that Paul is writing this. It was a, probably a normal thing to see a Roman centurion and the, the, the armor that he had and the weaponry that he had. And one of the things that Roman, the Roman army did very frequently is they, they dabbled in, in the slave trade because they would overcome a country and they would subjugate their people and those, peoples, those people groups would become their subjects. And whenever a, a Roman army would come in and they would lay waste a city or entire region, and they were leading those people into captivity, they would typically do it by the point of the spear. The, the picture that I get in my head is somebody who is surrendering on their knees with a spear in the back of their neck. Listen, that's probably not a really warm and fuzzy picture. But Paul's using that image and he's saying, this is how you fight the kingdom of darkness. When the enemy is messing in your head, you've got to get aggressive with it. Whenever the enemy starts doing that thought process that tells you that there is no hope, that you're never going to overcome, that you're completely lost, then what Paul is saying is that you're going to have to get aggressive. You're going to have to stand up and fight and take every thought captive. Get the sword out. Get the spear out. At the point of the spear, lead every thought that comes into your mind. Did you know that you can do that? If you have a thought process that's going in your mind, you can change that thought process. I don't know that I love my wife anymore. I don't think that, that I can do this anymore. Did you know that I've seen and encouraged people to change that thought process and it can save their marriage? You know, I do love my wife. You know, I think that we can make it through this. You changing that thought pattern is everything. But here's what sometimes we do is those, those negative thoughts creep in and we're like, you know what, that's pretty true. And it feels good for just a minute. It, it kind of gratifies something in our flesh. But this is what Paul's saying. The weapons that we fight with are not according to the flesh. They're not according to this world. You're going to have to get into a place where you change your perspective, number one, and you get into the spirit. And you get a heavenly perspective. And in that place and from that perspective, you can step into saying, this is the thought pattern that this Father is speaking to me. It's pure. It's full of love. It's full of kindness. And listen, you can turn away wrath 
with a word of kindness. I don't know where you are today, but listen, if you're one of those in this room who I'm preaching to, who's struggling with the giant of despair, you're going to have to fight. I'll tell you about this day that I had whenever I was a kid, and I've shared this story before, but it's been a little while, and so I'll share it again. And I'm sorry, Jeremy Ledbetter, for telling your story again, but I'm going to do that. So whenever I was in grade school, there was this bully named Jeremy Ledbetter. And he would always pick on us. You ever have one of those guys in your school or girls in your school? Yeah, yeah okay, everybody did. And so I rode the bus every day. We lived a little bit further out of town than, than the other kids who went to the elementary school that I went to. And so I'm talking like in second grade. And so how old are you in second grade? Like nine, eight, seven? seven. Yeah. So I was like seven years old. And whenever you think about seven-year-old memories, they seem so big, right? It's like this was a life-altering moment for me. And so Jeremy Ledbetter was kind of that guy on our bus who would always pick on the younger kids. He was two grades above me. And so I can remember it being in second grade, and, and me and my buddies, it's like Jeremy Ledbetter would come in and kind of slap us on the back of the head, you know, that kind of stuff, and, and always, you know, insult us. And, and he was bigger than us, obviously, because he was a couple years older than us, but uh, on top of that, I was a little bit scrawny. And I can remember talking to my friends, I was like, man, I hate Jeremy Ledbetter. And we all hated Jeremy Ledbetter, right? To the point where we, we made this name up for Jeremy Ledbetter when he was not listening, and we would call him Jeremy Bedwetter, okay? <laughs> and so we would always kind of, you know, make fun of Jeremy Bedwetter. But if he came around with an earshot, we would be like, <laughs> well, one day it kind of got back to him that, we were, that I was calling him Jeremy Bedwetter, and he wanted to fight me before school in second grade. And I can remember waking up that morning because he had said, tomorrow morning I'm going to kick your butt. I can remember waking up that morning and, and really being like Elisha's servant and opening up the door and like, oh, God, this is the worst day ever. <laughs> but, but something happened, and I don't know where this came from, and I'm not subscribing that this is God, okay? I'm not subscribing that what happened next is God. But there was something that just churned inside of me where it's like, you know what? I'm tired of Jeremy Ledbetter. And I don't know where this courage came from, but I decided, and, and a lot of that was with, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but with shaking hands, you're like. But I can remember seeing him, and all I had, this thought, the only thought that I had was, was like, man, I'm striking first. He's probably going to beat the crud out of me, but I'm striking first. And all I knew was to go for the jewels, right? <laughs> I was not a young man that was taught how to fight, but I had seen enough karate kid that I knew Kick them where it counts. And that's exactly what I did. I kicked him where it counts. Jeremy Ledbetter rolled over. He got up and he hit me a couple times. And it was one of those second grade fights, right? It was just like, and two teachers come over like, you guys. And we landed in the principal's office. And I remember we both did detention together. But he never messed with me after that day one more time. I had to stop calling him Jeremy Bedwetter because that's what the principal told me. But from that moment forward, Jeremy Ledbetter never messed with me again. Now listen, here's the thing. I know that's a funny story, and I know it's a second grade oversimplification of what we go through in day-to-day -day life. But it really does represent things pretty well. If you stood up to the enemy that's coming against you, he will fall. I promise. This is what the Word of God says. He who is in you 
is greater than he who's in the world. See, that's the perspective that Caleb had. That's why he could stand up with confidence and say, we're more than able to go do this. Is because God was with them. If you're a blood-bought child of God, the God of the universe lives inside of you. You are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. There is no enemy from the kingdom of darkness, whether it's a giant of despair or a giant of bondage or some of the other stuff that we're going to talk about throughout this series. There's not a giant that you cannot overcome because of the God factor in your life. And so really what you have to do is, number one, is you've got to gain God's perspective. But number two, you've got to get into that place where you have that thing churning in your gut and you're like, you know what, I'm sick of this. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired and I'm going to do something different. And I'm going to stand up. You know, one of the things that Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, where he starts talking about the put on the full armor of God, is the whole purpose in that is not so that we can become Rambo and, and, and be the guy that everybody looks at and they're like, what? The thing that he tells us to do is stand. That's it. So that in the day of evil, you can take your stand and stand your ground. You know, the Bible says that if you will resist the devil, then he will flee from you. You are guaranteed victory if all you will do is partner with God and fight. You have to fight. If you roll over and quit, all hope is lost. You can't win from a surrendered position. And so the only thing that the enemy of despair is trying to do is get us to a place where we quit and we lay down our arms and we surrender. I want to encourage you today, no matter what's going on in your life, and I know that some of us are dealing with some pretty big stuff. Fight. Don't give up. Don't lay down. Do not roll over. The consequences and the cost is too high. Your family matters. You matter. You have to stand in a place where you say, God, give me your perspective. Let me see what you're seeing. And from that perspective, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight with everything that I have. I'm going to overcome the enemy. And in that place, whenever you make that decision, you will, permit, you will possess the promised land. You'll actually step into the revival, to the breakthrough, to that moment that God is speaking over your life. If you would stand with me this morning. I'm going to invite those who are going to serve communion. If you'll go ahead and get the elements ready. past this moment because I feel, I feel like this next moment is, is pretty significant in, in some of your lives. And so I, I really want you to just kind of focus on me for just a second. And whenever I first started this, this message, one of the things that I was talking about was the children of Israel and this fork in the road, this defining moment. And God was calling them. He had prophesied over them from generations past, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he was going to give them as an inheritance the land that they were standing and looking at on that day. They had an opportunity to step into everything that God had intended for them, and they didn't. Now listen, God gave them another chance. It came 40 years later. We talked about that in January. But I wanted to kind of bring you to that moment that they missed the opportunity and it took them on this detour that caused a lot of pain in their nation's history. 
You know, you're at a place today. I feel like there, there's some people that are at a place today that this is an offering from God where he's saying, don't give up anymore. There's some of us who have been defeated by a spirit of despair where you've just kind of laid everything down and you're like, man, I just don't know that I can do this anymore. And you've quit. You've put your prayer life down. You've quit trying in your marriage. You've been disrespecting your parents. I don't know what that means for you, but that despair has gotten you to the place where you've just laid down your arms and you're just going with what the, what the enemy's trying to do in your life. You have to stand in a place today where you change your perspective and you begin to fight. And I promise you, if you do that, you will win. 